Welcome to Swarupa Vidya Ashram. My name is Swami Nirmalananda. Each audio is a discourse that I offered at a satsang, a free meditation program, and was followed by meditation. These teachings address the underlying questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? How do I do what I came here to do? I went to my guru with these same questions. While he gave me the teachings I share here, most importantly, he gave me the inner experience they describe. This is why I teach, to share the same with you, both the theory and the inner experience of your own inherent divinity. The bliss of consciousness is your birthright. Meditate and discover that you are greater than you could ever imagine. Om Namah Shivaya Gurave Satchidananda Murtaye Nishprapanchaya Shantaya Niralambaya Tejase Muktanandaya Gurave Shisha Samsara Harane Bhakta Kayaika Dehaya Namaste Chitsaratmane Etave Jagatameva Samsara Navasetave Prabhave Sarva Vidyanam Shambhave Gurave Namaha Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Devo Maheshwara Guru Sakshat Parabrahma Jasmahi Shri Gurave Namaha Om Swarupa Swaswabhava Namo Namaha Om I bow to my own self. I bow to my Baba's own self. I bow to his Baba's own self. I bow to your own self, your own beingness, your own essence, your own shivaness. Again and again I bow. Om Swarupa Swaswa Bhava Namo Namaha. A dedicated lifestyle. I always wanted my life to have a purpose, something greater than my own possessions and pleasures. I always wanted to give to others, not just those with whom I share some DNA. Since I was a little girl, I wanted to give to others. You've seen it. A toddler brings their favorite toy over and gives it to the baby. That's how I always wanted to live. Living in an ashram supports me in this lifestyle, a flow of continuing generosity. But I'm not giving away limited resources. The source of all I give is the limitlessness of self. 
This is what the ashram is about. Your own self. The one self. Cosmic consciousness. Enlightenment. Beingness. Awareness. And bliss. Now, that's something worth dedicating your life to. So I did. And I had help with this. I had one who showed me how. That's my Baba. I was so fortunate to live and study with him for years. There was nowhere else I wanted to be. Yet I watched as others went to the movies every Sunday afternoon. I couldn't understand why they would go out and miss the chance to sit with Baba in the courtyard in the afternoon. What could you get from a movie compared to basking in the radiance of a God-illuminated being? But I've always been a little bit obsessive. I just was looking for something worthwhile to obsess on, and I found it. That's what the ashram is about. That's why I live in an ashram. That's why I founded this ashram 13 years ago. Today's the ashram birthday. I founded it so that other obsessive people could join me in this divine endeavor. I can give you something worth obsessing on. That's your own divinity. That's your own future as an enlightened being, one who lives in a continuous flow of generosity. It was my children who first trained me in generosity. When a baby needs something, you jump and run. Who's in charge? Duh, the baby, of course. And when a teenager needs something, what do you do? Ditto. Sleep. Personal time. I remember having dinner with a Swami friend of mine about 10 o'clock one evening. It was after an ashram evening program that had gone late. I wasn't a Swami then, but I'd known this Swami for years. He'd been on the road recently and had just returned. So we were having dinner and catching up after the satsang. He said something about needing to write a talk for a program the next morning. I also knew that he was in charge of the 5 a.m. puja, the candle ceremony. I asked, when will you sleep? He said, sleep? What's so important about sleep? Ah, yes, I know that one. How many nights had I given up sleep to take care of a child or to read a book? There were some times that I stayed up all night to do stupid stuff. And many nights where I stayed up all night to chant with Baba. Okay. It's all about priorities. I read a biography about a yogic saint who began studying sitar as an adult. Most sitar players start while they are kids, but this guy didn't begin until he was in his 30s. He was married, with children and a job, so he worked all day and practiced sitar all night. All night? Yes. The book explained that when his family went to bed, he sat with his sitar and practiced all night. 
To keep from falling asleep, he tied a few strands of hair to a string which was attached to the ceiling. You know how pulling on a single strand of hair can hurt? So he set himself up every time his head nodded, the string pulled on a few hairs, which hurt and awoke him again. He played all night, every night. Now, music can put you in the zone. And in that zone, you don't need sleep. So it worked. Within a few years, he was a renowned musician in great demand for concerts. Then he realized if he could do that with the sitar, maybe he could do it with meditation. So he began to meditate all night. Tying a few strands of hair to the string, he was jerked awake every time he started to nod. And of course, meditation can put you in the zone even more powerfully. And in a few years, he was enlightened. It's really all about what do you want? And what are you willing to do to get it? Can we say he had OCD? I say he obsessed on the right thing. I wasn't as self-motivated as he was. I didn't set myself up with a rigorous routine. Baba set me up. And I was supported by the others who shared this challenging lifestyle that he laid out for us. In Baba's ashram, the first chant started at 3.30 a.m. It was optional, and I usually missed it. I didn't get to the meditation hall until 4 a.m. But if I missed that, I always showed up for 5 o'clock chai. Then the day alternated between chants, seva periods for ashram work, meals, chants, seva periods, and time with Baba. We had six and a half hours of chanting every day, plus eight hours of seva. And Baba was usually available two times a day for an hour or so, full days. But we didn't need much sleep. We lived in the zone. Baba made it easy. And being in his home made it easy. The ashram had a vibe. He described it, abodes of siddhas, masters, sacred places, and centers of pilgrimage are permeated by a divine power generated therein. Here, he equates the ashram with sacred places and places of pilgrimage. What sacred places do you know of or maybe have gone to? What places of pilgrimage are there in the world? Westerners have heard of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Maybe also Bodh Gaya, where Buddha sat under the Bodhi tree. There's Uluru in Australia, also known as Ayers Rock. And the Angkor Wat temples in Cambodia. I have chanted to Krishna in a temple in his birthplace, Gokul, India. 
I sat in the crater of Mount Haleakala one morning on the black sands, chanting the sun up with a hundred other yogis. I have given myself over to the sacred waters of the Ganga, the Ganges River, in five of her holy sites from the Himalayas to the sea. What is it about sacred sites? Why do people go on pilgrimage? They hope to get something in that place that they don't have at home. They want healing or forgiveness or a blessing or upliftment. I went to so many sacred sites myself after Baba left his body. I was looking for something else. I was looking for the differences in the different sites. But no matter where I went, I found only one thing. The one who is called by many names. That one is everywhere in every name. Oh, Shiva. I could recognize the one in all those different places because I had already been introduced by my Baba. He called the one by the name Self. He embodied the Self in an unmistakable and easily accessible way. And he gave us the ashram so we could find what he had to give. The ashram, like Baba said, is saturated by a divine power. Every object, every particle of air vibrates with a different frequency than other places, a sublime frequency. It's the same frequency you find in all the sacred sites, a divine frequency. But an ashram is not about its vibe. It's about up-vibing you so that you vibrate with that divine frequency as well. As Baba said, abodes of siddhas, sacred places, and centers of pilgrimage are permeated by a divine power generated therein. In the meditation temple at Sarnath, there's a huge statue of Buddha sitting on a pedestal. Sarnath is the deer park where Buddha gave his first discourse. Later, a huge monastery grew up and flourished there for a thousand years or more. What kind of energy is there? What kind of spiritual power? It's a very special place. One day, as I sat on the floor in this temple so I could meditate, a Buddhist monk came out from behind the statue and invited me into the gated area. We walked around behind the Buddha, and the monk showed me a small door enclosing a small cabinet under the Buddha statue. He told me, Buddha's fingernail is in there. Wow. 
Is that the source of the spiritual power there? Baba says such sights are permeated by a divine power generated therein. It comes from a 2,500-year-old fingernail clipping? If so, I have to ask, what was he like when he was alive? Well, I know, because I lived with one like him. I lived and studied with a master. I slept in his energy field, for it permeated his house, his whole ashram, including all the many buildings in which we lived and worked and meditated. His town, Ganeshpuri, is like that. Of course, in Ganeshpuri, you have more than a fingernail. Nityananda's whole body is there in his temple under a marble pedestal, which has his murti, his enlivened statue, on top. And as powerful as it is there, it makes me wonder, what was it like when he was alive? I asked the same thing about Jesus back in the day before I met Baba. At the time, I was frustrated with Jesus and arguing with him inside. I complained to him that he lived so long ago, it wasn't fair because I didn't have a chance to meet him in person. About a month later, I found Baba. The sutras explain that when you are ready, God sends you to the guru. I was so grateful and am still. Places hold the imprint of those who live there. There have been times when I was house hunting and walked into a place that was permeated by the energy and mood of the prior residence. What kind of imprint does a living master provide? They give what they've got. God. Inside. Baba described it this way. It is the living, moving, talking power of God, which, though established in its own glory, manifests itself by assuming a physical form for the sake of devotees. We call it grace. This living, moving, talking power of God is the power of grace, revealing the mystery hidden within you, revealing your own divinity to you. It's not about you showing your divinity to others. It's about you seeing you, about you being you. In the mantras I chant before teaching, there is a line that touches my heart every time. It's in the second verse. Muktanandaya gurabe shisha samsara harane bhakta kayaika dehaya namaste chitsaratmane. It's the line, Bhakta Karyaika Dehaya. Speaking of the Guru, it says, 
who assumed a body to meet the needs of the devotees. Baba was alive for me, this line says, and of course for many others. It's true. In 1977, he had a heart attack and was hospitalized. He told his doctor to come back the next day at 4 p.m., saying, if you are here, you can save me. Now, his doctor knew that Baba was an accomplished yogi, so the doctor took Baba at his word and was there at 4 p.m. the next day. Baba had another heart attack, much more severe. The medical team worked on him for over an hour, finally reviving him. Baba reported it this way. I went to my Baba and sat with him for a long time. Then he said, go back. You're not done yet. They still need you. So Baba said, I came back. It was after that when I got to go live with him, so I knew he was in his body to serve me. It is the living, moving, talking power of God, which, though established in its own glory, manifests itself by assuming a physical form for the sake of devotees. Shiva coalesced this mighty, revelatory power of God in a tangible way that I needed, for which I am forever grateful. That tangible essence pervaded Baba's entire ashram. For a while, I lived in a room that was just two hallways down from his. For another while, I lived in a room in a house way on the other side of the gardens, a quarter of a mile away or farther. And you know what? It didn't make any difference. I experienced his support when sitting in the meditation hall with him. I loved it when I got a seat up front. I'd get into line an hour before the program to try and get a seat close to him. But I was often in the middle or the back of the room, a big room which held 600 or 800 yogis. The Shakti, the energy, was the same. Plus, he never looked at the people sitting close to him, but he always kept an eye on us who were farther away. Often he'd say something meant especially for me and look me straight in the eye while he was saying it. How can you hide from the sun? It creeps through the curtains, shines through the crack in the door, lightens your whole room even when the sun is on the other side of the house. How can you hide from the grace of a great being? How can you hide from the light of your own self? Not in an ashram you can't. That's why I wanted to live in an ashram. That's why I created this ashram and work at keeping it going for you. I don't need an ashram. My yogic practices and my guru's grace have made me able to abide in self without any external support. 
I don't need the chants or meditations, but I love them. I don't need to do seva to support my state, but I love to be of service. Since childhood, I've always wanted to serve others. While I choose to live in an ashram, Baba said, you don't have to live there. Referring again to divine grace, he wrote, those who live in the ashram permanently, those who stay for short periods, and those who remember it with love, devotion, and reverence are enveloped by this force. So here you are at Downingtown Yoga and Meditation Center. This is the teaching center of the ashram. You're in the ashram. You're enveloped by this force. And you who are at home, letting me zoom into your life, the ashram has come to you. You are enveloped by this force. When you come, even for short periods, you are saturated by grace. Baba said that all you have to do is think of the ashram and you get infused. That's why I do what I do. So you get infused. So you find your own self. Again. And again. And again and again and again and again. Until again turns into always. One thing you can do for yourself, no matter where you are located, is a little ceremony to turn your space into a satellite ashram. When we ashram teachers travel to other locations to teach, we do this ceremony before the students arrive. You can do it too. We use a stick of incense. Champa is the best scent for this. Or you can use a candle if you prefer. Frankincense in a burner works well for it too. Stand at the entry door to the room or building you want to sanctify, facing into the room. Hold the incense in front of you and begin with Om Swarupa Swaswa Bhava Namo Namah. Now begin repeating mantra Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Continue repeating the mantra as you turn left. And slowly walk along the wall. If there's furniture, walk around it. Just be as close to the wall as you can. When you get to the corner, go along the next wall. With the wall on your left. Keep repeating mantra. If you get to a door, go through it. Except for bathrooms. They don't hold the shakti. And you keep following along the wall. You can do a whole building this way, even up and down the stairs, simply by following the walls, carrying the incense, you're repeating mantra. When you get back to the door where you started, turn and face into the room. Continue with five more mantra repetitions. Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya, and finish with 
ಓಂ ಸ್ವರೂಪ ಸ್ವಾಸ್ವಾಭಾವನಮೋ ನಮಸ್ಟಿಕ್ಲ್ಡರ್ ಓರ್ ಅಡೆಡ್ ಪ್ಲಾಂಟ್ ಫರ್ ಇಟ್ ಬರ್ನ್ ಡೌನ್ ದೂಮ್ ಓರ್ ದಿಲ್ಡಿಂಗ್ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಅ ಹೋಲ್ ನ್ಯೂ ವೈಬ್ ಯೋ ಫೀಲ್ ಇಟ್ ಇಟ್ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಬಿಕಮ್ ಅ ಸೇಕ್ರೆಡ್ ಸ್ಪೇಸ್ ಐ ಡಿಡ್ ದಿಸ್ ಫರ್ ಅ ಸ್ಟೂಡೆಂಟ್ who was afraid to enter a second house on her own property. She had evicted a tenant who she felt was malicious or strange, but she could still feel their imprint in the house. She asked if I could help with it. Of course. So I had her follow behind me as we stepped in, turned left, walked around the walls with the incense, repeating mantra. While the wall is on your left, you're going in a clockwise direction, circumambulating the space like it's done with a temple or a holy mountain. She held on to my shirt in the beginning and I could feel her hands shaking. We kept going. Her voice got stronger. Her hands stopped shaking and she even let go of my shirt. We got back to the entrance and she was transformed. along with the building so simple so powerful you can turn your own meditation space or your own home into a mini ashram just walk the perimeter every day it's especially delicious when you do it just before your meditation it takes only minutes Ah, but living in the ashram is not just about living in a sacred space. It's about supporting the sacredness through your own practices and your own lifestyle. How do you want to live? The ashram is like a river. It is always flowing with divine grace, a continuous flow of generosity, a gift from the limitlessness of the self. Happy 13th birthday to Swarupa Vidya Ashram. Om Swarupa Swasva Bhava Namo Namaha.